As I said, today's Connection Sunday, and as we get ready to sign up for these house groups, I just have one thing. My whole message this morning is just one thing, and we could quit after I say this one thing, but we're not going to. We're going to just stay a little bit longer, okay? And here's the one thing. Two are better than one. That's it. Two are better than one. Having somebody with you is better than being alone. Having somebody work with you is better than trying to do it all by yourself. The worst feeling in the world is feeling like I'm in this all by myself. I, there's this, I'm drowning, there's this thing that's overcoming me, and I'm in it all by myself. Now, we know two is better than one to be true in most circumstances. For instance, divers, you know, underwater divers, they, they're told don't ever dive by yourself. Always have a dive buddy with you. Hikers should always have somebody with them. Some, some people like Jonathan Bruton don't have a, a buddy with them a lot of times, but hikers need a buddy. If a bear comes along or you fall and break your leg or something like that, spelunkers, you worry about them, you know, they're cave uh, uh, explorers, you need a buddy with you because when you get into trouble, there's somebody there to help you out. I was watching this YouTube video yesterday or day before uh, about adventure motorcycle riding, specifically about how if you get one of these big heavy motorcycles that you ride on road and off road and you drop it and you will do that, especially if you're off road, uh, how do you pick it up again? Well, the best way to do it is to have a buddy along with you. One guy could do it most, in most cases, but if you have somebody with you, it makes it a lot easier. One parent can successfully raise a child. Many single parents have done that, but two is better than one. So we will look at something <clears throat> written by a very wise man in the Old Testament on this subject of two or better. Two are better than one, and three is even better than two. By the way, when I say, who's the wisest man in the Old Testament, who do you think about? Solomon. Yeah, Solomon was a, a real guy. Uh, and and uh, the Old Testament uh, scribes said that Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived, at least up into his period. In all the East, he was the wisest man. And he wrote three of the books that are included in the Old Testament in Scripture, the book of Proverbs, which is just a collection of a whole bunch of slow uh, sayings, and the book of Ecclesiastes that we'll read from this morning, and the book of the Song of Solomon that we hardly ever read from on Sundays, but you can read that yourself if you want. It's a love story. Uh, but we're going to look at that. By the way, if I asked you who's the most educated, smartest man in the New Testament, who would you say? Besides Jesus, he's out. All right, probably Paul the Apostle, right? Paul the Apostle. The interesting thing about both of these guys is these really smart guys, when they write, just sometimes it's really hard to understand what they say. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Peter was a writing about the Apostle Paul in the Bible, in the New Testament, and he says some of the things this guy says are really hard to understand. I just mentioned that because we're going to read from the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, and if you were to read the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, you'd go, what? What is this guy talking about here? You know, there's stuff that's difficult uh, to understand, but I think that what we're going to read today is pretty clear. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. To start with, in the first eight verses, Solomon, this really wise man, takes note of all the injustice and the oppression that exists in the world and some of the, the bad attitudes and things 
that, that happen. And then in contrast to those bad things, Solomon cites the advantages of companionship, the ad advantages of having somebody with you in whatever you have to go through, the idea that two are better than one. So Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine, the wisest guy that we know of in the Old Testament says this, two are better than one. I didn't come up with that title all by myself, or I just got it out of the Bible. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor or, or, or because they can help each other succeed. Uh, two working together can accomplish more than one by himself. That's, that's pretty simple. Uh, a lot of times you're working on something in your garage or in your yard or in your house or something like, and you think, if I just had a third hand, you know, just had a hand to hold this, I would be okay. And that's really what this talk about. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Two can do four times as much as one can do. Four, verse uh, 10 describes it a little bit farther. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Uh, a companion can help, help in time of difficulty. Raymond C. is a good example of this, by the way. Not because he has Velma and Sharon with him, but because he uses both suspenders and a belt to hold up his pants. And that way, if one falls, you know, he's got a backup there. Well, seriously, uh, have you ever seen somebody fall and there's no backup? Uh, there's nobody there to help them? Uh, uh, the wise man says, but woe to him who falls, but pity the guy who falls, pity the woman who falls and there's nobody there to help her back up again. I was watching uh, commercials this week on television, you know, and there's, there's a commercial about, there's a lady and she, there's a long, narrow uh, uh, staircase and she's lying on the floor on the bottom and her, 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 her laundry's scattered all over the place and of course it's the help, I've fallen and I can't get up thing because she doesn't have the button to push, right? She's all alone and she's got no help there. Have you ever seen someone fall financially? and there's nobody to pick them up. Some of those folks end up living on the street. Have you ever seen somebody fall morally and there's nobody there to help them back up again? Here's a question. We, we all need some help sometimes. So we need to ask ourselves, each one of us, this particular question right here. Who feels free to ask me this question, are you okay? And if I say I'm fine, they don't accept that because they know it's not true. You know, then that, and they have earned the right in my life, and they know me well enough, and I know they're not pointing their finger at me, and I know they're not going to tell anybody else all of my business or anything else. I know they're just interested in me. But who is it? Is there a person or is there a group of people in my life that would ask, they feel free to say, Are you all right? What's going on uh, in your life? What? What problems are you having? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine. They, they know that's not true. There needs to be that kind of person in our life. Verse 11, we're continuing to read here in The Wise Man. Verse 11, again, he says, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? It's kind of describing ancient travelers, uh, you know, and, uh, and the fact that, that we give comfort in time of need. And then verse 12, though one may be overpowered by another. 
Uh, again, we've got ancient travelers, and if, if one person is traveling alone, he could be attacked. One can be overwhelmed. That's a better word, overpowered. We, we, that word overwhelmed, we understand what overwhelmed means, right? We, we understand that, that stuff happens, and there, it, it's just so big, it's too much for us. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken, or a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and hold off a lot, right? And three are even better than two because a three-braided cord is not easily broken. Maybe that's where uh, Sharon and Velma come in. That's, there's the three-fold cord there together, right? Though one may be overwhelmed, two can walk it together, and three is even better. At some point in life, each of us has been overwhelmed. My quick story here that my family doesn't like me to tell, but it's my story. Three years and nine months ago today, on the 16th day of January, 2015, they slit my chest open from Dan to Beersheba, as they say, from up here to down here, disconnected my heart, did six bypass grafts while my heart was not beating for an hour and a half, and then they hooked it back up again, and it started beating again. Now, I was pretty much overcome, overwhelmed by that. I, I couldn't do much after that particular thing happened. And so my small group and my church came to my assistance. I, I didn't try to remember everything that everybody did, but I remember Rusty. He's with his stepfather today. Rusty came over my house and fertilized my grass for me because I couldn't get behind that, that fertilizer, and, and he, he did that. He came over and started my motorcycle up for me to be sure it would be in good shape when I was able to do that again. We had a guy by the name of Josh Stacy around here then, and he took care of the Sunday evening services. Todd took care of the Sunday morning services. And by the way, I was working as hard as I could to get back, but, but it, I was overwhelmed. I could only do certain things. So Sunday number one after my surgery, I was still in the hospital, just out of intensive care. Sunday number two, I was still at home, barely able to get around. Sunday number three, I came and sat right there, but I could hardly had enough strength to say anything to anybody. Sunday number four, and by the way, a few of you came up to me, but most of you stayed back because you realized, and Sunday number four, I was back there. Sunday number five, we got that stool. Now, it wasn't one that, wasn't that one. It was one similar to that. It had a wooden top to it and set it right here, and I began to preach again, but I couldn't do what I had done before. Uh, I made it back, but I made it because you were here for me, and by the way, I didn't, I didn't ever hear of anybody saying, that guy's broken. Let's get us a guy that's not broken. As far as I know, no, no, somebody might have said that, but as far as I know, everybody just said, let's, get, let's help this guy get back to where he was before. Let's gather around him and let's do for him what he cannot do for himself and let's, let's carry the load that he can't carry for himself. And I kept getting paid and gradually coming back and doing more and more and you kept doing your jobs and you kept doing extra things because you cared about me and because you supported me. Two are better than, than one and three is even better than that. And four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 is even better 
than that. Our efforts and our benefits can't be confined even to just two people. We need a little group around us because at some point in time, every one of us needs some, some somebodies around us. Or I've used this, uh, this phrase, some people with some skin on around us. I, I've used that phrase before because years ago I heard this story about this little girl and uh, her daddy took her into the bedroom at night, you know, putting her to bed. She was scared of the dark. Anybody? I've been scared of the dark plenty of times in my life. And, and uh, he said, well, you don't have, honey, you don't have to worry about anything because Jesus is here with you. And she said, where is he? I don't see him. <laughs> and, and she said, I need some people with skin on around me to help out. And, and, and we do. We do. Uh, God designed us that way. We need some people with some skin on around us. And that leads me to three little simple thoughts I want to give you today uh, about group life. And the first one is this. We do have God around us. God has promised never to leave us uh, and that he was always going to be there. Sometimes I feel like God is there. Sometimes I don't feel like God is there. But God has promised never to leave us. I love the advice given by the writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament when he said this, Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct, let the way you live your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself, God himself has said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now just stopping there for a minute, covetousness, let your conduct, let the way you live your life be without covetousness. Covetousness or the love of money uh, doesn't mean you want to improve yourself. It means always wanting something more because you look around and you see what other people have. Uh, always wanting what somebody else has. It's not about getting what we need. It's about basically uh, the writer here saying, quit, quit looking around. Quit comparing yourself to other people. Comparing is one of the worst things that you can possibly do comparing yourself to other people. You can look and say, I'm just as smart as she is, maybe smarter. I work just as hard as she does, maybe harder. I've sacrificed just as much as she has, maybe more. Therefore, I deserve what she has. That's what the writer's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you had. In other words, what that means is appreciate what you have. Enjoy it. Uh, people have enjoyed and appreciated a whole lot less than what you have. Appreciate it. Enjoy what you have. Thank God for it. And don't always be thinking, I deserve something better than this. Maybe you do. And maybe you will. But put that out of your mind. Just appreciate. Look around. Appreciate what you have. And then, for he himself, do that. Because God has said, I'll never leave you, forsake you. That is, or forsake you. That is, trust God, who is always there. That doesn't mean everything is always good. Sometimes things are kind of bad. Doesn't mean everything's going to go our way. Because I said we're broken people. We live in a broken world. There's unfair stuff that happens in this world. There's bad stuff that happens in this world. There's stuff that's hard that happens in this world. But... Don't be looking around. Don't, don't make yourself miserable all the time by saying, I deserve more than this. Start by appreciating what you have and trusting God. So verse 6 says, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. 
What can man do to me? Well, man can do quite a bit. He can cheat you, he can lie to you, he can steal from you, he can kill you. But what's talking about here is, look, if I'm alive on this earth, the primary purpose of life is not for me to be comfortable and have a bunch of stuff. I like being comfortable, and I got some stuff, and I like my stuff. I'm not saying that, you know. Uh, what I'm saying is that's not the purpose of life. The purpose of life is me to serve God, and I do that by helping you. And if I can live my life, and I can be helping some people in the process, and by the way, there's still a whole bunch of stuff I can enjoy. I like living. I enjoy a bunch of stuff while I'm living, and I get to help people in the process. I don't have as much as a lot of people have. There's a whole bunch of people that live in bigger houses and drive nicer cars and have bigger bank accounts and have better prepared for retirement and all that kind of stuff than me. I don't need to be looking around at those people. I can appreciate what I have. And you know what? If I die, guess what? I'll be with Jesus. I'm going to heaven. No doubt about that in my mind. Good times here, in spite of the fact there's a bunch of bad stuff that happens. A bunch of it. God's still with me. God still loves me. I can still help other people. And when I die, I go to heaven. So, here's the idea. God says, I'll never leave you, forsake you. And God made a lot of other promises in the Bible like he would meet our needs. As long as we put him first and serve him, he will meet our needs. But, but... That doesn't mean that we can do life with God only. So number one, God has promised to never leave us. But number two, we still need each other. And that's by God's design. God didn't design us just you and God alone in the wilderness. God designed you to need other people. We still need each other by God's design. We spent the whole month last month, the month of August, talking about how that God blesses us so that we can bless others. He gives us wealth and talent and time so we can help others. Help others. He comforts us so we can comfort others. Two are better than one, and three are even better than two. And Jesus said this in the New Testament, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst, or I'm right there in the middle of that group of two or three people. Well, hey, isn't he with me when I'm alone? Yeah, he is. But this passage, this passage, by the way, specifically refers to church. The binding and loosing of the local body of Christ. It, it, it's, if you read through it, Jesus was saying, if you have a problem with your brother or your sister in Christ, you do this to try to work it out, and then you do this to try to work it out, and then you take it to the church, and the, it talks about binding and loosing power of the church. And here's what this is about from our perspective today. We need each other. And we need each other in a church way. And when we assemble with each other in a church way, God is with us in a special way. And we need him. We need to be together and we need God uh, as we're together. We can survive alone. Any one of us can. You might think you can't, but you can. We can survive alone, but we cannot thrive alone. We can believe in God alone, but we can't serve God alone. We think we're doing pretty well as long as things are going well, 
But once they start going badly, we realize that we need each other. Being in a small group has the potential to keep us from being overwhelmed, overloaded, crumbling beneath the load. Think about this. On our own, here's what we tend to do. On our own, we tend to drift away from God. On our own, we don't decide, fooey on you, God. I'm going to go over here and live for the devil. That's not what we do. On our own, we drift. Little by little, we just kind of, we don't drift toward God. We drift away from God. On our own, we, we drift away from doing the right thing. On our own, we drift away from making good decisions, and we tend to make more and more bad decisions on our own. If you ever been around, and maybe you have children, and you, so your children are a certain age, and you're around somebody that had a little bit younger children, and you look at them, and they're being too harsh with those children, or they're not disciplining those children at all, and you see trouble coming. I can tell you something about that. Or have you been around a couple who were buying things they, they shouldn't have been buying or generally just abusing their money, using it improperly, and, and you can see trouble coming, right? Have you ever been around a husband who's belittling his wife publicly or a wife who's talking down to her husband publicly, and you can see trouble coming? Now, if you're in a group or if you're in group life, Hopefully, somebody in the group will find the right over time, will earn the right with you over time to put their arm around you and say to you, I need to tell you something that I can see coming in your life. And if somebody like that comes up to you, you need to listen to what they say because God made us for each other. There are things I can't see about me and there are things that you can't see about you. Now, here's the fact of the matter. Five-year-olds think they know everything, right? 15-year-olds think they know everything. 25-year-olds think they know everything. We all think we know everything about ourselves uh, more than anybody else knows about ourselves. But we don't. We're blind to some things. We can't see some stuff. So listen, if God puts somebody like that in your life and, and they've gained your trust, not somebody just off the street coming in pointing a finger at you, but they've gained your trust. God designed us to, to, to need each other, so listen to what they have to say. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it, Galatians chapter 6. He wrote this. This is in the New International Version because I think it's easier to understand. It says the same thing other versions do. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Don't kick them while they're down, but help that person back up. But second half of that verse says, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Go into it with the wrong kind of an attitude, some kind of a I'm holier than you, better than you kind of an attitude. You're liable to be down as well. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. A couple of verses later, uh, the, the apostle writes, uh, uh, carry your own load. And here he says, carry each other's burdens. What are we talking about? Well, uh, we're all responsible for ourselves. And you, you can't just sit around waiting for somebody else to take care of you. You've got to go out. And you've you got to be responsible for yourself. There's stuff you need to do. But sometimes, 
the load is so heavy, we're overwhelmed. Two are better than one. Three is even better than two. In that case, that's when your group comes around you and puts their arms around you and says, let me help you with that load. God has promised to never leave us, but we still need each other by God's design. And one more thing, and this is real short. If you wait until you need it, you won't have it. Now, group life is like retirement savings. If you wait, you won't have it when you need it. You gotta store it up ahead of time, right? What we mean by that is you can't wait to get in your trouble and then look for your group. The group life has to be there all along because you get in trouble and you think, I got no group. I got no second person here. I got nobody to help me. The church can and should immediately express care and compassion for people. But community, the real coming together takes time, and that's what we have to work on. So think about this. What kind of a difference? I don't know what your life has been like, but what kind of a difference would your life be if your parents had been a part of one of this group that, that just came together and help them make good decisions all the time. And what would it be like for your children and your descendants if you have a group that gathers around you and helps you make right decisions and when you fall down, they help pick you up and, and you keep each other going in the right direction? What, would it, what difference would it make in their life? Two are better than one because if one fall down, the other can lift him up. And if one is overwhelmed, two can stand back to back and fend off anything that happens. And three is even better than two. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the middle, right in among the group. We need church life. We need group life. We need to care for each other in that way. And, and, and when we do gather together like that, not only do we have each other, and not only do we have God, but we have God in a special way with us. Two are better than one. I don't care how tough the one is. I don't care how independent the one is. Two are better than one. Bow your heads with me. Father, I know you're here today, and I thank you for that. Help us to understand that no one of us knows everything. We're not always right all the time. We need somebody to say, hey, how are you doing today? I see something in your life. Let me help you with that. Grant us your grace. Thank you for always being present with us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.